Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. How's it going? You're listening to the Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. That was it. It's Josh Lee Quiet. Was... The songs just keep getting better and better. I mean, let's be honest. That was a one-to-one recreation of Darude Sandstorm. Uh, I'm recording, recording remotely this time around. I'm in Victoria, BC, in Canada. Yep, I'm still in LA. Weather's nice out here, actually. It's a bit colder, but uh, I still like it. Victoria's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just like a tiny little island of just awesome awesomeness, and everything about it is awesome and perfect and beautiful, and gosh, I want to move here. Well, Canada's awesome just in general, and Victoria's like an even better place in Canada than... I don't know if I want to say that, actually. Sorry, Canadians. (laughs) Um, Do you want to tell them what, what... When this comes out, which is next Tuesday, will the thing you're doing be out? Yeah, the thing I'm doing is actually going to be live streamed uh, tomorrow. Uh, so you guys may have already be uh, have seen it. Uh, we are going to do a pre-pre-release for Shadows Over Innistrad, which is also sort of the topic of today's episode. We're recording a little bit later so we can get to the entire set review for Shadows Over Innistrad before you guys jump into your pre-release next week, or I guess this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, it's probably the earliest we've ever done a set review. And Jimmy didn't say, but when he says we... He means Loading Ready Run, and who else, Jimmy? Loading Ready Run, Marshall Sutcliffe, Kenji Egashira, as well as Athena, uh, who you guys will know as Elantris, who also streams and does some GP coverage. And we're all going to crack some packs and play on stream all seven rounds, single elimination. I'm a little bit nervous. First round, I'm facing Kenji, who's, I don't know, he's had some experience playing limited, I'll say that much. Kenji's pretty good. Um, you played against him before, right? Didn't didn't we play against him in uh, Vegas? Yeah, we did, and he absolutely stomped me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that was so my fault. So you're <laughs> just waiting for your chance at redemption here. This is great for you, actually. Because exactly. If you lose, no big deal. But if you win, big deal. I'll, right, I'll so- flaunt it in his face forever. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I do to Marshall about the one time I played him in draft. Oh, yeah, I should remind him of that next time I see him. I try and remind him every time, and he obviously doesn't think it's funny, but I do. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. Yeah, you should, when you see him tomorrow, you should definitely just say that I was talking about that on the show. Oh, yeah. And I I had to dream about it and was like, I have to tell Marshall, obviously. Yeah. Um, By the way, we had a to the listeners question last week about uh, our show, sort of a meta question about what we can do to improve it, what you love the most about the show. Thank you guys so much for all of your responses. They were very encouraging. I was humbled by all of them, and it made me very excited to keep working on the show, which is great because we clearly have another 100 to go, right? At least, yeah. The response was great. The constructive criticism was really great. Um, Some very well-thought-out, well-worded responses. The contest is over. We're going to announce the winners. Uh, again, we're giving away the book, The Lies of Locke Lamora, which Delray Books has generously donated to the show to give away. Um, so we're going to give that away near the end of the show. But just because that contest is over doesn't mean we still don't want to hear the answer to that question if you haven't already responded. So if you have any thoughts about our show, just what you can let us know, like what you like about it, what you don't like about it, what you wish we did more of, how we can improve the show, Um it really was helpful to read a lot of that stuff and be like, oh, people really like this or people don't like this or blah, blah, blah. 
I think that's going to help us moving forward for the next 100 shows. Yeah, and a lot of you said that uh, the last episode was one of your favorite episodes ever, so big props to you, Josh, for uh, coming up with the show topic idea and fleshing it out. Level up episodes are always fun. Always fun, okay. always good. Um, all right, let's jump into it because we got a million cards to cover. This set looks we really, do. really sweet. Uh, we're going to start, as we always do, with the new and returning mechanics. So, again, this is the Shadows over Innistrad set review. Jimmy, let's do it. Let's do it. I cannot wait to play this set. It looks incredibly fun. And the returning mechanics, one of the big ones that you may have heard about, is Madness. And Madness basically is a effect that says um, discard matters. Uh, so cards going from your hand into the graveyard. And there are a lot of cards in the set that have Madness. Uh, it's going to be something that we see over and over again. Uh, it doesn't actually pop up too much in the cards that we're going to talk about today because I think it's more of a sort of constructed, uh, limited, limited thing yeah, yeah. than it is uh, uh, EDH necessarily. But Madness basically reads... Uh, it says madness and then a cost. And it says, if you discard this card, discard it into exile. And when you do, cast it for its madness cost or put it into your graveyard. So if the card goes from your hand to the graveyard, it doesn't actually go there if it has madness on there. It goes into exile, so into a special zone. And then you have the option there to cast the card for a different or sometimes the same cost. Usually it costs less, which rewards you for discarding the card. And uh, after it's cast, it goes into your graveyard. If you decide not to pay the madness cost, it just goes into your graveyard regularly. Uh, important thing to know about madness is that when the madness is triggered, you get to cast that card now, no matter what type it is. So if it's a creature, it's sort of like it gets flash. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, and again, the rules of magic state, you can't just discard a card when you feel like it. Some other card or effect has to be telling you to discard a card, but a, something like a looter would totally work. So mm -hmm. like Jace, for instance, Prodigy... If you it says draw a card then discard a card on the front side the non planeswalker side that would count for madness as the card you're going to discard so there's a lot of craziness with and we have access to all the cards in the history of magic and a lot of them can tell people to discard things and so madness is sort of maybe easier for us to turn on yeah certainly maybe there's maybe there's an entire madness deck now because there's enough madness cards I don't know it's hard to know that without really going through and trying to build it but. It's possible. I, I bet before it was probably like one or two cards in it that are very good. Maybe there's not enough good ones now. I don't know, but it's interesting. Yeah, and a card like Wheel of Fortune is great with Madness as well because you're discarding your hand and you get to pay. You get to use the cards you discard, so they get a little extra value as they go out the door. Yeah, I could see a Madness type deck working and stuff where you're making everybody discard cards, including yourself. But for yourself, it's not so bad because you have Madness. Uh, but for your opponents, it's really bad. I could I could see that being a thing. Yeah. The next uh, mechanic, it's a new one. It's called Delirium. And this also has to care about the graveyard as well. Uh, it says, if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, and then an ability that affects the card that it is on. So, for instance... It's kind of like Ferocious, you yeah, know, how yeah. it's like it's turned on if you meet this criteria. And in this case, the criteria is four different types among cards in your graveyard. And the types are Instant Sorcery, Creature... Artifact, Enchantment, Planeswalker, Tribal, Land. Yep. So lots of different ways to get this going. Again, uh, this is something that we can probably accomplish a bit easier in EDH as we will be playing with more card types in general, whereas in the limited deck, you may not necessarily have as many enchantments or a Planeswalker necessarily. Well, yeah, limited decks have to have 15 creatures, so yeah. they're just hampered. But you can play a deck in EDH that only has you know 10% of your deck is creatures, in which case... You can have a lot of those other types. Uh, Going to be interesting, again, to see. This one feels like probably 
it's not going to be a whole deck, but in some of the self-mill decks, like to take BDM's uh, Spider Spawning Sidisi deck, mm-hmm. the ones that are going to mill themselves a lot, then I can see some of the Delirium cards being really good there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then we have Skulk, which is also a new mechanic. It says, Skulk, uh, this creature can't be blocked with creatures with greater power. So Skulk is similar to something like Menace or Vigilance or Trample. It's a something that affects uh, the ability for it to be blocked. Yeah, this is just... I don't think it's going to come up for us very no. much. It's a pretty yeah. simple mechanic. Um, yep. Now, this next one is very exciting. It's called Investigate. And anytime you investigate, it says put a colorless clue artifact token onto the battlefield with a two color, uh, two generic mana, sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. Very so exciting. it makes tokens similar to like Scions or Spawns, but they're not creatures. They're artifacts that you sacrifice and pay two mana to draw a card. Yeah, which seems like it's really cool because it's uh, on a lot of these cards, it's sort of tagged on and makes the card just a little bit better had it not been there. And the nice thing is that you can do this at instant speed. You don't have to do it when it comes out. It just gets to be this artifact that eventually can get you a little bit of extra value when you may not have used that mana otherwise. Yeah, I this is going to be an interesting one. I'm very excited about it for limited, obviously, because drawing cards is fun. But also, I think there are probably some decks in EDH that are artifact-based that care about the number of artifacts that they have out, and this Mm -hmm. might be a way to bolster that. It does work with, like, Secondary Harvest because that will double the amount of clue tokens. We talked about that in our spoiler uh, reveal episode, I guess we would call it. Yeah. Also, like, uh, I don't know, Metalcraft, things like that. Affinity decks, maybe decks built around that kind of thing might like this card. I'm not sure. I'm just saying it's possible. Yeah, certainly. And I think if you're thinking about a card and one card does the same thing as the other one, but one has Investigate on it, you're going to be slightly drawn more to the one that can eventually draw you more cards because, in general, drawing cards is a pretty good thing. Yeah, and there's some that just, like, investigate every turn or every time you do something, and that's just slow, accrued value over time, which is... EDH loves that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, the big sort of returning mechanic is that we have double face cards back in Innistrad. Uh, Now, this was originally premiered in Innistrad. Cards that essentially can uh, transform uh, to another side that is also a card with text on it. So Yeah, you've you've seen these cards. They're the cards that have a card face on both sides of the card. That's what the double face is. So, like, Delver of Secrets is probably the most famous one. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those obviously returning, they're the, like the marquee Innistrad thing, so they had to bring them back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and they have to just sort of meet a requirement to transform. And notably, the, the lingo is double-faced cards and transform. They're not flipping because there had to be a couple of rules uh, adjustments by Matt Tabak, uh introduced these to us to sort of clarify some things. So uh, I, I may still call them flip cards, so I'm going to apologize for that right now. So yeah. you can still yell at me on Twitter or whatever, but I'm still going to call them that sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> That's quite all right. So the big difference here is a card like Jace Friend's Brodigy. Um, so when Jace transforms, he exiles himself and he comes back as a Planeswalker. That Planeswalker has a CMC, a converted mana cost of zero. However, any of the transforming double face cards in Shadows Over Innistrad and in prior to, as also in Innistrad as well, their CMC is going to be the same on both sides. So that matters for certain things that will, uh, for instance, like Pernicious Deed or cards that care about converted mana cost. And this is just yeah. sort of to clarify the rules. Ratchet Bomb, that kind of stuff. There's also, I think this is confusing specifically because the Magic Origins Planeswalkers actually function differently than all the other flip, uh, sorry, double face cards um <laughs> because the the planeswalker versions actually say exile this card and then re and then uh 
and then return it or whatever the wording is that you actually exile it and it comes back. Right. The transform cards from Innistrad and Shadows Over Innistrad, they don't actually leave the battlefield and come back. Right. So they're actually the same creature. Like if you pointed a destruction spell at them, you don't get to flip it in response and dodge that. Jace Friend's Prodigy would. Yep. And any equipment that's on them also stays on them. Um, any counters that are on them stay on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another big thing, uh, if you put multiple instances of transform on the stack, it only happens once, not multiple times. So let's say you were able to trigger the transform ability three times. So it would go to one side, then back, then back to the other side. Uh, before, it would actually uh, transform over three times. Now it just checks what the end result is and ends up on that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm sure there's some interactions with some with some uh, transforming that I'm not thinking of that made him have to do that. Yeah, I think Avacyn is the big one that uh, could have been easily abusable, so they want to just make sure that that does not happen with that card because it would sort of create crazy game states. It also simplifies it because I guess on Magic Online, there would be a lot of times where people would click transform, yes, 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 and then accidentally not click enough times, and it would just end up on the same side of the card. Oh, yeah, because you'd have to, like, count. If it's an odd number, it ends up on this side, but it's an even... Yeah, that's that's Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's go to the super exciting part for all of us EDH players, the new legendary creatures. This first one, boy, Jimmy, got a ton of buzz. Oh, yeah. It is everyone's favorite. Um, Avacyn is back, and she's angrier than ever. The Archangel Avacyn. She's mad. Yeah, and she's a double-faced card, which is really exciting. Um, I'll read her. Archangel Avacyn is three white-white for a 4-4 legendary creature angel with flash, flying, and vigilance. When Archangel Avacyn enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. When a non-angel creature you control dies, transform Archangel Avacyn at the beginning of the next upkeep. And she transforms into... Dun-dun-dun. You want to go for it? She... Avacyn the Purifier, which is now a red creature six five flying legendary angel when this creature transforms into avacyn the purifier it deals three damage to each other creature and each opponent whoa it's like a mini board wipe it's a mini wrath yeah she gets mad and she explodes that is uh... that's what that means um this is pretty crazy the first question a lot of people have asked us on twitter is is this a white card or is it a red-white card? The answer is it's a red-white card. Correct. Double-faced cards are actually, their color identity is includes both sides of the card. So think of like Elbrus and Withengar, which is a, it's an equipment that flips over and turns into a demon. Well, the equipment side is colorless, but the demon side is black. So that's actually a black card. Yep. And Avacyn, again, is a Boros or red and white card. Legendary, so can be your commander. This is pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of other people ask, hey, if I sack multiple creatures, is this going to transform multiple times and give me the effect of this board wipe and deal a ton of damage? And that's what the earlier uh, rules clarification says, that no, it will only trigger once because it just ends. It just matters where the card ends up, not how many times it would potentially turn into that card. Yeah, interesting. And, and something I missed very early on is that Avacyn actually transforms at the beginning of the next upkeep. So you can't like flash her in, then sack something. She won't flip immediately and blow up basically. And all your, while your stuff has indestructible, she's going to do it at the next upkeep. So it's a little bit, well, it's not quite as like, Oh my gosh, I'll just destroy everything and keep my stuff as it was when I originally read it. 
Yeah, I think this card is great. This is definitely like a go-to Boros Commander if you've never built a Boros deck before. Uh, the fact that it has Flash on it is really awesome. It gives your creatures indestructible for five mana so you can prevent a board wipe. And the other side is a board wipe, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think it's good. I don't think it changes anything about Boros and Correct. why it's still the worst color pairing and why it still is going to have a tough time being a good deck because what Boros needed was not these two effects. Boros needs card draw and ramp. So I'd love a commander that has, you know, the quote-unquote red card draw, that exile a card during your upkeep. You may play that card until end of turn, something like that on a Boros commander I think would be better. This is a good card, and it can go into Boros decks, and you can even have it be the commander of your Boros um your new Boros deck, but I don't think it intrinsically changes that color pairing into something that's like extremely viable or something now. Yeah, I think obviously Kalemni was not the strongest choice for a Boros commander. I think this has a lot more utility and it's easier to build some cool interactions around sort of what she does. Um, so I, I, I mean, think, I, I still think Giselle is probably better. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Giselle is more effective, certainly. Uh, I think if you're not trying to go for that double damaging effect, uh, Avacyn for a cheaper creature is is a potential option. But obviously, both those cards should go in the same deck. Yeah, I, I think... And also, I think Avacyn is really good in the 99 of a lot of decks, especially like token decks or creature-heavy decks, because we've talked about this in the past, how you want answers to the thing that your deck is weak to. And creature-heavy decks, token decks, are weak to board wipes. And one way to get around that is they play Wrath of God, and you flash in Avacyn and make your stuff indestructible. Yeah, and this Avacyn does not cost 8 mana like the other one did, so it's a much more manageable amount to hold up and have sort of in your back pocket. All right, the next legendary creature is also white, but this one is mono white. It's Audric Lunark Marshall. The return of Audric. They keep uh, naming cards after Marshall. <laughs> this is It's a 100% <laughs> Marshall. <laughs> if that if that guy, it's hard to tell cuz of scale if if uh if in that art He's six foot five or whatever, then it probably is Marshall. Yeah. Legendary creature, human soldier, a three three for three and a white. At the beginning of each combat, creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn if a creature you control has first strike. The same is true for flying, death touch, double strike, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, skulk, trample, and vigilance. Notably, Skulk has been added to the list, uh, and menace as well, which was not a keyword until recently. Boy, I'm surprised he Prowess isn't on there. Yeah, well, maybe it's not a, a, a white ability, technically. It um, is, though. Yeah, well, this card is pretty cool and is certainly not a good commander, I don't think. I think this is 100% in the 99. Yeah, but it is good if you have a few of these abilities. Just giving it to all of your guys is good. What was the angel that did the similar? This is similar to Angelic Skirmisher, which does a very similar thing, but has less right. keywords. Yeah, Angelic Skirmisher is like... Audric's like really sad, really old grandmother. Yeah, that costs twice as much mana, or it does half as, as much, much stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, angelic skirmisher, you've been made obsolete. I like Audric. Again, the, the main issue is that he triggers at the beginning of each combat, and that's just such, such a risky proposition in, in EDH because it's like, hey, look, uh, this thing is happening, and now you all know it's happening, so it's much more easy to stop it. Yeah, totally. All right. The next uh, legendary creature, we're into the multicolored cards now. This is my, I'm going to build a deck around this, no doubt. I think this is easily the most exciting new legendary creature. Yeah, it's <laughs> by far. It's it's sweet. 
Yeah, okay. it's it's the Gitrog monster. It's Chub Toad, all grown up. Three, a green and a black for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature frog horror with death touch. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever one or more land cards are put into the graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. It's that from anywhere that really gets you. Yeah, you can discard that land. You can mill it off the top. The Gitrog monster works great with fetch lands. He works great with dredge. He is a value machine in green and black, and it's a giant toad. Yeah, this card is sweet. It has the Azusa effect, kind of half of that. You know, you play the extra land. Yeah. And then it sort of has a Titania effect. Not the exact same, but that it makes you want to sacrifice lands. But also, the fact that you can mill your own lands into the graveyard and draw cards, or Dredge really does it really well, and draw cards. Uh, yeah, that's Wow, fantastic. it's really good. One thing to talk about here is it kind of works like Sidisi, um, the the multicolored Sidisi, that each instance of mill, you'll only be able to draw one card. So if you mill five cards off the top and put four lands in, you don't draw four cards, you draw one card. Yep. But if you mill yourself multiple times, you know, multiple instants, uh, then you can draw multiple cards. Yeah, it seems really sweet. Um, it's a great way to get value out of something because you're going to be sacking a land uh, each turn. So there's there's ways to... You can cycle lands as well uh, to discard the land and draw a card. So you get to draw two cards when the Gitrog monster is out. Ideally, you'd build a deck around this where you're able to put out five lands by turn three and 15 lands by turn five, you know? So you combine a lot of card draw and a lot of cards that help you drop lands. This card seems awesome. I know I want to build a deck out of it too. Maybe I won't now that you're going to, but maybe I will. I mean, we can all make frog decks. Why not? We, we both have, have a, Mizzix decks. Yeah, we, we'd have four players around the table all playing the Gitrog monster. It'd be fun. <laughs> the Gitrog rumble. Yeah, Gitrogged. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty sweet. That's the one I think people are most excited about. Um, it may be tied for me for this next one because it goes in my favorite deck, Marchesa. Yeah, this next one is cool. So it's Olivia is back. Olivia mobilized for war. What a cool name. Is her name. Yeah, she's one, a black and a red, one in Rakdos. For a 3-3 legendary creature vampire knight, she has flying. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may discard a card. If you do, put a 1-1 counter on that creature. It gains haste until end of turn, and it becomes a vampire in addition to its other types. Yes. Everything Marchesa wants in a card. It gives them haste. You can discard cards to reanimate in that deck. You're already reanimating stuff all over the place. This card is totally sweet. And it puts the 1-1 counter on them, so they're yep. protected if Marchesa's out. In fact, playing this on turn 3 and then Marchesa on turn 4 so that Marchesa's protected is great. Yeah, it's awesome. You don't even need to worry about Dethrone at that point. Um, any ways to get plus 1, plus 1 counters on your creatures in the colors that Marchesa is in is very powerful just because there aren't as many options. We're not, ta- we're not playing green, so... I am. Yeah, <laughs> you are. Um, do you think she's going to make it into your deck? I'm not sure. Maybe, probably. You have prob- so many ways of doing it, though, in your deck. So Yeah, probably, though. Just the ability to play this on three and then Marches on four. I don't know. It- it's possible that I would. I'd have to think about it. It's not as good in my version of the deck. It's way better in the Grixis uh, Marchesa deck. In that deck, I think you have to have this card. Yeah, absolutely. You'd play both Olivia's for sure. All right. And then one more legendary creature. Go ahead, Jimmy. Sigarda is also back. Uh, so we have one vampire returning, one angel returning. And Sigarda has not been affected by craziness like Avacyn has. Sigarda, Heron's Grace, 
three, a green and a white for a four five legendary creature angel with flying. You and humans you control have hexproof. Pay two generic mana, exile a card from your graveyard, put a one one white human soldier's creature token onto the battlefield. Um, a little unimpressive, I think. Um, if you're going human tribal, obviously this is super sweet. All your humans get hexproof. Yep. Uh, but the original Sigarda is just such a beating and is in the exact same colors that I'm not really incentivized to run this as my commander. Yeah, it's okay. It's I don't fun. Know what else, I don't know what else to say. Human tribal, sure. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> I've never seen the you have hexproof ability be relevant in commander yet. Um, I'm sure it would pop up maybe in like our Mizzix decks, but usually it's not something that's going to help you win the it game. It doesn't even it doesn't even help against Mizzix, at least ours, because we're going to earthquake you out and that doesn't target. Yeah, exactly. So it's very specific. It's very, very uh, interesting. It is cool that it gives all humans hexproof. The flavor on it is obviously out of control. Cool. Um, but I could see this as being a really fun card to put in the Sigarda deck if you're running Sigarda, just to have another version of Sigarda in there. I think that's always really fun. But other than that, I'm not too wowed by it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it'll probably see some play, but it's not, like, amazing. Yeah, nothing compared to the original Sigarda, uh, which says you cannot be forced to sacrifice permanence, which is just absolutely insane because so many decks run Edict Effects. Yeah, in a funny way, I mean, Hexproof is very good on your commander, but only if that commander is doing something else that people are going to want to kill it. Like, this Sigarda, for one, doesn't even give herself Hexproof. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's the big thing. Like, Narset's so powerful because has Hexproof and is doing something else that would normally make people want to kill her. This yeah. one is like, doesn't get Hexproof, gives something else Hexproof, and this Sigarda is not something where you're like, I got to get rid of that right away or we're going to lose. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that does it for our legendary creatures. We're going to move on to Planeswalkers, which is very exciting. Everyone loves Planeswalkers. Well, actually, not everyone loves Planeswalkers, but Planeswalkers (laughs) do a lot of cool stuff. They're usually pretty good for EDH, um, and it always varies. The cool thing is that they can fit in a lot of different decks. So we have uh, five, or no, four total Planeswalkers in this set to talk about. Yep, the first one is Jace. Jace is back again. Jace, Unraveler of Secrets, three and two blue for a five loyalty Planeswalker Jace. His plus one is scry one, then draw a card. His negative two is return target creature to its owner's hand. And then his negative eight is you get an emblem with whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, counter that spell. The plus one's a better draw card than he usually has. The minus two is pretty meh. The minus eight is sweet. The minus eight is very, very good. It's, I mean, you just probably win if you get that. Or at the very least, everyone tries to kill you. Yeah, it's backbreaking. And they can't, they have to like waste a spell before they're even allowed to do what they want to do. So it's immediate card disadvantage and mana disadvantage. Um, if you You're not going to get there very often. You're going to no. have to doubling season, yeah. basically get it. Because... As soon as people see, I think I think actually that the ultimate on this card makes it quite a bit worse than the other Jaces because the other Jaces basically do what you're going to do with this Jace, which is draw your, yourself cards. Mm-hmm. But they don't have this huge like. But if he gets ultimate on this Jace, we we all lose. This one has that. Yeah. So it's almost like a bigger target for basically what's going to amount to most of the time a similar effect. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to doubling season Jace out and get the ultimate off immediately, then yeah, go for it. Like I could see this being in Super Friends decks, but otherwise, yeah. it, it the the two abilities aren't that relevant 
and aren't as good as some of the other Jaces. I'd rather have the Jace that can mini factor fiction each turn. Um, yeah. This one's just kind of in the middle. Certainly not the highest power level Jace. Jace has a lot of competition against himself, essentially. Yeah, that's true. I also think it's five mana to scry one, then draw a card every turn. Um, not even guaranteed. You can, you, in blue, you can do better than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, All it's right. not that it's bad. It's just you can do better. Yeah, and that's okay, by the way. There's nothing wrong with a Planeswalker not being super overpowered. In fact, I'd rather they <laughs> sort, of, sort of stay around the middle instead of getting super overpowered because it sort of warps things, and you don't want, you know, like Jay's Friends Prodigy obviously is now a close to $100 card because of it. Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, Nahiri, the Harbinger. Harbinger? Harbinger? Harbinger. Harbinger. Oh, sorry, yep. Shivam. I did it. That right. Shivam. Uh, we did it. Shivam. We did it, Shivam. All right, Shivam. <laughs> uh, uh, yep, just like double face cards and flip cards, Shivam, may, I may revert on accident sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> Nahiri, the Harbinger, is two, a red, and Harbinger. a white. Harbinger. Harbinger. Uh, for a four <laughs> loyalty planeswalker. Her plus two, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. Plus two, kind of relevant. Her minus two, exile target enchantment, tapped artifact, or tapped creature. And her minus eight, search your library for an artifact or creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. It gains haste, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. I really like Nahiri. Nahiri's very good, and it does do a little bit of what Boros needs, which is draw cards. It does it in the rummaging way so you discard and then draw which is not as good but at least it does get you to cycle through your deck um obviously the versatility getting rid of enchantment tapped artifact or tapped creature is very good but the tap thing does kind of suck yeah but it's target enchantment notably so red is awful at doing that yeah Um, but white's very good at it mm -hmm. so it's interesting it's cool though because you can blow up a gilded lotus which i think is really sweet um Especially because, you know, tapping big artifacts for mana is really important. And the ability to get rid of it is sweet. Uh, her minus eight, obviously, is low dream dreamland. But the cool thing is that you can get anything. So you can get an Eldrazi and put it in your hand. And then when you when it comes back to your hand, then you get to play it for the cast ability if you ever get up to that much mana. Well, yeah. And the fact that it gains haste means that, like, you know, if it's got Annihilator, it's going to be hard to dodge that. If it's Blightsteel Colossus, you know, you might be able to just ko somebody i think that's very good um oh my gosh oh I, it's not here the harbinger <laughs> Bing. yeah i just noticed that i would like to play her in some decks i'd like to see how often her minus two is relevant because i think that's going to be the most important part about this card yeah i just i probably won't play her much because i don't have a boros deck and then if i have other colors then i can do all this other stuff true that better so that it's not that she's bad i just think she doesn't have a great home yes i know a lot of people out there like boros and they think it's fine i'm happy for you um but i don't (laughs) (laughs) but at least you're happy for them so you know support them in their cause (laughs) all right next we have soren grim nemesis soren is no longer super stoked no he is not stoked whatsoever in fact he looks Pretty he looks pissed. Yeah, probably because of what's happening. I think this is the other yeah. side of what of what we're seeing Nahiri, by the way. Yep, yep. Well, you know what? People are mad. Avacyn's mad. Nahiri's mad. Soren's mad. There's a whole bunch of rage in this uh, set. You might say there's a lot of madness, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, bing! Oh, yeah, bing. I'll give you a high five all the way from Canada. There you go. <laughs> all right. So Soren, Grim Nemesis, is four a white and a black. 
Six mana total for a six loyalty Planeswalker, Soren. Soren's plus one is reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to its converted mana cost. Soren's negative X. Soren Grim ne- Nemesis deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. And then Soren's ultimate is negative 9. Remember, he starts with 6 loyalty. Put a number of 1 1 black vampire knight creature tokens with lifelink onto the battlefield equal to the highest life total among all players. Whoa. So you could potentially put in 40 1 1 black vampire knight creature tokens. I mean, you're in uh, black-white, and recently with Uncle Carl and Ailey and all this stuff that they've been doing, you might be at 97 life, so you might make a lot more than 40. Yeah, I think Soren is really cool because his minus X is really flexible, and you can you can gangbuster someone out with that plus one. You know, again, Blightsteel Colossus, everyone loses 12 life. Whew. Yeah, the reverse Bob. The reverse, um, Yeah. what's that card called? The Bob card? Uh, Dark Confidant. Dark Confidant, yeah. It's weird, because Dark Confidant, you reveal a card, draw it into your hand, and it deals the damage to you equal to its converted mana cost. This one deals the damage to your opponents. I mean, if you have Scroll Rack... Oh, my gosh. Every turn, you could be with Ulamog or something doing, like, 11 or 10 to everybody. Yeah, repeated, by the way, which is pretty insane. Yeah, this... I don't know. Seems really cool. This stuff is weird, right? Because I don't think there's been a card that does that exactly... So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, the negative X is good. At least you gain life. Yeah, and you can target to kill something. Usually, like, a card that really is bothering you will have two, three toughness. Back when the Prophet is around, you know, that, this would be a great way to kill it without killing Soren himself. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it seems fine. It's not amazing. Seems he's, good. Go- he's going in my Super Friends deck for sure. Yeah. Um, our last Planeswalker is the only... Uh, trans double face transforming card in the set. Now, again, the original Instrad had a Planeswalker that did this. It was Garrick Relentless. Um, and now he's been replaced with Arlen Cord, which is super cool looking. Uh, it's the only Planeswalker, by the way, that enters with less loyalty than the converted mana cost in this set. Arlen Cord is two, a red, and a green for a three loyalty Planeswalker. Uh, her front side says plus one until end of turn up to one target creature gets plus two plus two gains vigilance and haste her zero is put a two two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield transform arlen cord so if you play her at three loyalty and do the zero she flips over and still has three loyalty so she transforms into arlen embraced by the moon uh and it's it's a werewolf Woo, cool her, uh oh. Oh. This werewolf's plus one is creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample until end of turn. Her minus one, Arlen, Embraced by the Moon, deals three damage to target creature or player, and then transform Arlen, Embraced by the Moon. Her minus six, you get an emblem with creatures you control have haste and tap it. This creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So it's kind of like Gruesome Slaughter, but the creatures have haste, and they can do it to the players as well. This is hard to evaluate. It's red and green, by the way. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. You, if you transform her, by the way, you cannot use an ability on the back because it is still the same card, and you can only use the Planeswalker's abilities once a turn. Yeah, uh, it ha- it's not like it exiles and leaves and comes back, and it's a new card. It's actually the same card. So it's a Planeswalker that already used its ability. Yeah. Um, this seems pretty cool. I mean, all the abilities are really sweet. The fact that it affects your entire team is sweet. Um, you can also just have it affect one creature on the board. So it has a lot of flexibility. 
and it protects itself, which is really important for planeswalkers by putting a two-two green wolf creature onto the battlefield. Um, it's interesting because the the um, ability you would want to use like every turn, like you usually want a planeswalker that's going to have a, an ability that you're just going to keep using and you're fine with it. The other abilities you want to be relevant, but there's usually one like this one's going to just if it sits there, I'm just going to draw cards. Or if it sits there, I'm just going to make two two wolves. Or if it sits right. there, I'm just going to blah. This one, it's hard because the one you would want is the make a 2-2 green wolf creature token, but that transforms her. Yeah. And so then, And so then you have to basically bolt something to transform her back. So you can only make a, a creature token every other turn. And the bolt itself is fine, but not super awesomely relevant usually. I, and in that transaction, you'll actually lose a loyalty because one's a zero and one's a negative one. Yeah. I don't see her being awesome. I, I think she's probably okay. She's probably playable, but I think she's like sort of meh. Yeah, I I, I could see specific decks really liking her abilities, um, but otherwise, it, again, it's one of those things where you just have to ha- play with the card a little bit to see and think about where it would fit best because maybe down the line there's going to be a commander that really wants this kind of card in there. But until then, we don't really know quite yet until we get to I mean, the playtest with it. You can't even drop her and then do the anthem the the anthem effect basically of pump your team because that's on the werewolf side on on the human side it only has one creature gets plus two plus two vigilance and haste yeah so it's like a weak xenagos and then you don't have the surprise factor of like play this give my whole team trample which is basically the part of it you would want if you had a whole bunch of creatures Mm -hmm. so you have to telegraph that i think again it's fine I just think it's a little bit, eh, it's probably not going to end up being that good. I wish it was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so moving on now, we have some double face cards that we're going to talk about, and then we're going to jump into the colors. Uh, now, a lot of these double face cards are sweet, and we're not going to cover all of them because some of them are very specific to, like, tribal. So if there yeah, are we cards... Yeah, we should say that at the beginning here. So there's a lot of tribal synergy stuff, zombie, yeah. vampire, human, spirit, um... We're not, if it says, if there's a card that basically just says, like, put this in your human tribal deck, we won't necessarily talk about it. You know, put, if this is like, obviously this goes in zombie tribal, we won't necessarily talk about it. So, yeah. Um, because that's pretty self evident. We yeah. may talk about some of them, but just, you know, don't yell at, well, you can yell at us. It's fine. Yeah. You can tell us, actually, that's going to be our to the listener question this week. But <laughs> let's start things off with Thing in the Ice. Uh, this card is really cool. The flavor is amazing. It's called Thing in the Ice, by the way. That Has a card ever been named Thing in the Ice? I don't think so. Uh, you know, I worked on the movie The Thing, not the original, the uh, remake. Oh, nice. And that's um, a Thing in the Ice. That's very true. Thing in the Ice is one in the blue for a 0-4 creature horror with Defender. It enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you remove an ice counter from Thing in the Ice. And when it has no ice left on it, you transform it. And it becomes the Awoken Horror. It busts through the ice. It's a 7-8 Kraken Horror. When this creature transforms into the Awoken Horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. And Pretty it's cool. a 7-8. Yeah. It's fun. It's a, it's a board wipe with a ton of flavor. Or a board, it... a board, a board uh, clear. Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty good if you have an instant and sorcery heavy deck. Um it's People these... are trying to break it in modern. Uh, there are lots of I'm spells sure... that can, but yeah, I'm sure modern and standard. It's a lot better than in our format. You yeah. know, I'm, you're thinking like, what are the decks that have a lot of instants and sorceries? Well, Mizzix, Talrand, Melek. Mm-hmm. Do they want a 
to bounce all non-land permanents back to everybody's hands and then have a 7-8 left over. Well, Talran doesn't because that gets rid of all your tokens. Yeah, specifically non-horror creatures, by the way, so not Yeah, we're going to assume... Oh, yeah, sorry, it's not all non-land permanents. It's just creatures and non-horror creatures. We're going to assume it's the only horror out because most of the time it will be. Yeah, but it should be the only horror out. I haven't seen very many of those. Yeah, cool cool card. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't put it in my Mizzix deck, for instance, because I don't want to bounce Mizzix back to my hand. I don't think, like I said, Talran wants it. Um, Melek, I don't know. Maybe. Melek's, uh, whatever, that deck's not very good, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's limited. It's going to be interesting. I think it's a really fun, flavorful card to play. And um, the fact that you get to control when it happens is cool. It gets uh, virtual haste because it's already been on the battlefield. Um, seems pretty fun. We'll see where it ends up. Um, but I think it's definitely more modern standard than uh, EDH necessarily because there's a lot of cards that do this effect and can do it at instant speed. And you get to choose when it exactly happens uh, for a little more mana. So we'll see where it ends up. All right, um, the next double face card is Startled Awake. It's two and two blue for a sorcery. A sorcery double face card. This is cool. Target opponent puts the top 13 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. And then you can pay three blue, blue, and put Startled Awake from your graveyard onto the battlefield transformed. Activate this ability only anytime you would cast a sorcery. And then the transform side is Persistent Nightmare. It has Skulk, and it's a 1-1. So it's a 1-1 that cannot be blocked by creatures with greater power. When Persistent Nightmare deals combat damage to a player, return it to its owner's hand. So it's kind of a super slow mill card, right? It costs 4 mana, and then it goes to your graveyard. Then you pay 5 mana, and it comes back as a 1-1 with Skulk. Then you hit somebody with it because it's hard to block creatures with Skulk. It comes back to your hand, and now you can cast it as a sorcery again. And repeat the and whole process. Them. Yep, exactly. It's the design is amazing. Yeah, if you had infinite mana and a haste grantor, it's pretty cool. Um, yep, but it's great design. It's great flavor. It's a persistent nightmare in every uh, sense of the word. But it's not that good in EDH. Probably not. But man, I want to see somebody try and use it because yeah, the Johnny and me is like whatever. This card's sweet. Yeah, go to town. Um, the uh, next card is Westvale Abbey. This is the first ever uh, double-faced land. Very cool. Yeah, this is this is sweet. Yeah, just wish... just that it's a land that does stuff is always sweet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can tap it to add a colorless to your mana pool, or you can tap five generic mana and tap it. Pay one life, put a one-one white and black human cleric creature token onto the battlefield, and for five mana, you can also tap it to sacrifice five creatures and then transform Westvale Abbey, then untap it. And Westvale Abbey turns into Ormondal, Profane Prince, a 9-7 legendary creature demon with flying, lifelink, indestructible, and a haste. Woo, Diddy. Uh, woo, Diddy is right. I mean, 9-7 flying, lifelink, indestructible, haste is legit. That thing is sticking around. Yeah, it's not dying anytime soon. Yeah, uh, that's... I don't know. This seems great because, you know, and also we need lands that tap for diamond mana now. Yeah. So this is a decent one. I mean, it it makes dudes really slowly, and then you sacrifice the guys and make the the thing. I don't think it can go in every deck because you have to. You, you really want to think about this. Like, can my deck sacrifice five creatures mm-hmm. without the Abbey itself making those creatures? Yeah, it's a, you know you want to put this obviously in a token deck, um, a Tesa 
Orzhov Scion deck would be great for this because you're already mm -hmm. making a lot of creatures. Um, obviously, white-black seems like a great fit for this because it makes white-black cards uh, with the human cleric creature tokens. Seems really sweet. I, I love that it's a, a land that changes into a giant monster that is almost impossible to deal with. Yeah, that part of it is just sweet. Once again, very cool design. Uh, I like it. I don't know how much play it'll see, but it's cool. Yeah, very cool indeed. Um, Hermit of the Natternals is two and a green for a 2-3 creature human werewolf. Whenever an opponent casts a spell during your turn, draw a card. At the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, transfer Hermit, Hermit of the Natternals. And uh, he transforms into Lone Wolf of the Natternals. Lone Wolf? He's playing Secret Partners. Which is a 3-5. <laughs> it's a 3-5 werewolf. Whenever an opponent casts a spell during your turn, draw two cards. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, if a player casts two or more spells last turn, transform it back to the other side, which is the draw one card. So basically the difference is on the human side, you draw one card if they cast a spell during your turn. And on the werewolf side, you draw two cards if they cast a spell during your turn. Yeah, seems pretty exciting. Um, I do like drawing cards. It does require an opponent to cast spells on your turn specifically. So you better hope you're sitting next to the uh, the to the right of the person with all the instants and sorceries so they want to cast it on your turn. But it's very easy to play around, but it's still a very cool design because if you force someone's hand, you're drawing cards at the very least. If you are in a meta where there's quite a few counter spells, it can be hard to play a green deck, a deck that wants to tap its man on its turn. So this helps you. There's other cards that do this effect. There's a lot of cards that just don't let them cast spells on your turn, yeah. which may or may not be better. But this is sort of a, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's nicer to draw cards or to just stop them from doing it. I don't know. This card is cool. You may run it. I don't know if I would. Yeah, again, I think it depends on your meta, depends on the decks, depends on how people play. But if you think you're going to trigger this a bunch, then go for it, obviously. All right, we're moving on to the mono-colored creatures and cards now. I started with red because I was like, sweet, can't wait to talk about red cards. We only have three. Sad day. Yeah, there's not very many red cards uh, that we liked a whole lot. <laughs> um, the first one is Burn from Within. It costs red and X for a sorcery. Burn from Within deals X damage to target creature or player. If a creature is dealt damage this way, it loses indestructible until end of turn. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Oh, so it's a nice way to get rid of indestructible creatures with a simple X red burn spell. Yeah, this is actually, I think, something that that red wants and needs, which is another way to get rid of... It's sort of still damage-based, but it's not, right? Because mm -hmm. damage-based stuff doesn't kill um, indestructible things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's exile in red but it works from the flavor standpoint of red. I like it. Yeah, it's cool. The art is really intense. Uh, I think it is certainly a, a meta call for as well. Uh, if you don't have any indestructible creatures running around, there are better options for a burn spell that aren't sorcery speed. Yeah. All right, the next red card is Falkenroth Gorger. Vampire fans, get ready. It's a 2-1 Vampire Berserker for one red. Pretty cool. Each Vampire creature card that you own that isn't on the battlefield has Madness. The Madness cost is equal to its mana cost. So if you discard a Vampire card while this is on the battlefield, you get to play it for its cost. Cool. Vampire Tribal. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen a crazy, like, this is like a lord, I guess, in a certain way. Very interesting. It's like a Madness Lord. Yeah. He's mad. I mean, Madness Vampire Lord. <laughs> I don't he's, know. He's gorging on the madness. It's definitely interesting. I, I don't know how useful it'll be, but 
it's something. It is something. All right, then the last red card we're going to talk about is Gold Knight Castigator. Two red red for a 4-9 creature angel with flying and haste. It's got to be a, a downside. Four, a four mana 4-9 four flying haste, huh? Yeah, interesting. Yep, strap in. If a source <laughs> would deal damage to you, it deals double that damage to you instead. If a source would deal damage to the Gold Knight Castigator, it deals double that damage instead. Uh, okay. All right. Um, Why someone... isn't it a 9-4? I mean, it's way too powerful to 9-4 because it's like deal with this in two turns or you're dead. But Yeah, flying haste 9-4. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I don't want to people to double damage against me and I am in return hitting them for a four in the air. Yeah, uh, someone did mention that this would be very fun to donate with Zedru. Yes, that's actually great. You give it to him. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I'm going to hit you for 10. No, you're going to hit him for a lot more. Here comes the Gold Knight Castigator. And everybody's going to hit you for a lot more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I like so it. an interesting card indeed. Uh, I'm interested to see if there's a way to capitalize on the fact that you're being dealt double damage. Maybe this will go in your uh, Stop Hitting Yourself deck, Josh? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it really synergizes actually, because you don't you don't want to deal yourself a lot of damage. You want to deal yourself a little bit of damage. Yeah. Because uh, think of that with like pestilence out. That's horrible. Yeah. That's oh my gosh. That is pretty horrible. All right. Let's move on to white. Sorry, red. That's all. That was slim pickings in red. Slim pickings. It's okay. We'll get them next time. Uh, let's um, start off with angelic purge. Angelic purge is two in the white. I believe it's our only common. That we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's a sorcery, and it says, and as an additional cost to cast Angelic Purge, sacrifice a permanent, and you get to exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment. This hey. is this is pretty good. It's you have to exile one of your own, or sorry, you have to sacrifice one of your own permanents, but that could be a land. Yeah, it could be it could be a token. Um, and the versatility is off the charts. It's exile, and it's artifact creature or enchantment yeah i i like this a lot i think this is going to make a huge splash in limited um and obviously white if you're playing any kind of white deck you're probably going to have some kind of token generation uh even not i mean there's always some stuff lying around that you wouldn't get mind getting rid of for something that's a much bigger threat and you're you're kind of winning in that case you're two for one in yourself right you're getting rid of two things but the added cost of the two things you just got rid of probably is not going to be uh, substantial when you compare it to what you just got rid of. Yeah, I, I think this will probably see a lot of play in EDH. It's very good. It's sort of like Vindicate or Utter End. It's not quite as versatile as those cards, but it's similar. And it goes in mono-white, so you don't need the black component. Also, think of like the gods, Ooh, All the gods are indestructible yes. enchantments, and they're a real issue. And up till now, there's not been a ton of versatile ways to get rid of them. There's a, there's some exile target enchantment cards. And the thing about gods is they're rarely creatures. Like, people who play those decks don't usually want to turn them their devotion on so that they're creatures. So you need exile and enchantment. And white does do that, but you don't always want to put those cards in your deck because they're pretty narrow. Yeah, so certainly. I think Angelic Purge is actually going to be see a lot of play in our format. Yeah. I think it's pretty sweet, like I said, so worst that... case scenario, you sack a land, you know, on turn 12 or something, it's not generally going to be that bad if you have to, you know? Yeah. Not bad at all. So I'm, I'm all about this card. I think the, the downside is pretty negligible. Yeah. Seems cool. Um, 
The next one is Bygone Bishop. It's two and a white for a 2-3 Spirit Cleric flying. Whenever you cast a creature spell with converted mana cost three or less, Investigate. As we recall, Investigate says, put a colorless clue artifact token onto the battlefield with pay two, sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. Boro, celebrate. This guy's for you. Now this one is sort of like Mentor for the Meek. A little bit worse. Mentor for the Meek, you have to pay one. But Mentor for the Meek, you have to pay it when you when the creature enters the battlefield. This one you can sort of like pay it on the installment plan, right? You can pay the two mana, but you can pay it later. Yes, certainly. Um, it's really cool. I, I think this card is awesome. Um, it's going to be great in a lot of different formats, and it's going to be really very, very good for uh, Boros decks. Yeah, it's not whenever a creature with converted mana cost three or less enters the battlefield, which I think is a little unfortunate. It's whenever you cast a creature spell with converted mana cost three or less. So, again, still very good. And like you said, Boros, or just Mono White. Mono White has real trouble drawing cards. Yeah. This is going to go in a lot of Mono White decks. Um, Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, This next card might go into Mono White decks as well. It's Declaration in Stone. Soren Markov stands very sadly in Markov Manor where all his his family has been thrown into giant rocks and they're protruding out of it. Pretty gruesome. Uh, one in the white for a sorcery, exile target creature and all other creatures. It's controller controls with the same name as that creature. That player investigates for each non-token creature exiled this way. Uh, when I see this, I specifically think about doing it on myself. Um, and when that would be relevant, if you can flash this out at instant speed, it'd be a great way to stop a board wipe from really messing up your white weenie deck or your tokens deck. Um, it seems like it's it's an interesting card with a very powerful effect, and at the very least, it's one in the white exile target creature, and then the player gets a non uh, gets an gets a clue token for it. Yeah, I think it's okay. Um, use it on yourself, huh? That's interesting. I guess yeah, for tokens, it could be great to just get some card draw. This doesn't say non token creature. Yes, that's true. Um, Shadowborn Apostles, maybe you could do this to draw some cards if they're in trouble. Um, you could do it on an opponent's token, although it's going to give them a bunch of clues, but maybe you don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about it more, I think. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting card. Uh, the next one's, I think, going to see play. It's, it's pretty good. It's called Descend Upon the Sinful. It's four white, white for a sorcery. It says, Exile All Creatures. And then it has Delirium. So you put a 4-4 white angel, angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. So you basically exile all creatures, and if you happen to have Delirium, you get a 4-4 flyer with it, which probably won't matter too much. But exile all creatures for six is actually pretty good. Yeah, and it's yeah specifically none of them are going to the graveyard. Uh, it is powerful in that way. Uh, you won't get cards triggering as they go to the graveyard because they, they have been exiled. Um Six mana for an effect like this is certainly powerful. Yeah, I mean, basically, Merciless Eviction has three modes, but one of the modes is this, and the downside of that is it's uh, Orzhov, and this is Mono White. Um, but I would play this. I would definitely play this. Exile is, is very powerful because you run into, you know, Graveyard Synergy decks that don't care too much if their cards are destroyed, yep. but they don't like it so much if they're exiled. Yeah, certainly. Carador, uh, I'm looking at you, buddy. All right, next up we have Eerie Interlude. It's two and a white. It's an instant exile any number of target creatures you control. Return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, this is just a great way to save your creatures against a board wipe for three mana. It's similar to Ghost Way, which is a very similar card. 
Um, just nice to have another card that does this. It's a flicker. Uh, all your enter the battlefield abilities will trigger again when they come back into the battlefield. So seems pretty good. Yeah, I think this card is very, very good. It's great in the flicker decks, the rune type decks, because it does two functions. One is save your stuff from a board wipe, like you said. The other is sometimes just win the game because sometimes you look down and you're like, well, I have seven things. And when they come back in, they're all going to trigger. And that's going to get me so much value. It's it's pretty dang good, actually. Yeah, I like it. I, I always love these types of effects because it it's what I call the gotcha effect. And it happens quite a lot. Yeah, people count on like, I'm going to play this Cyclonic Rift. And then I'm gonna, that's going to make me win. But you go, they go, okay, Cyclonic Rift. And then you Eerie Interlude. And you still have all your stuff, you know, all your dudes. And that was their plan to stop you. And now you're like, okay, you know, attack you. Yeah. <laughs> Taste it. Taste it, dude. Um, the next one is Not Forgotten. It's a sorcery for one and a white. Put target card from a graveyard on the top or bottom of its owner's library. Put a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. I like that you put this one on the list um, because sometimes putting something on the bottom of their library is actually better than destroying it. In fact, a lot of times it is. Yeah, especially if they're trying to fetch it out again with like a Carador, for example, and it's like, oh gosh, he's just going to keep replaying this edict card this edict creature every single time you can say nope no more and it goes for any card which is kind of nice um this also works and there's really... a pl- there's a whole ton of marin decks running around right now yeah. and the marin decks really just keep recurring the same card so destroying it just doesn't help you much yeah and also not to mention like hey white doesn't really get regrowth effects right and this is kind of similar to one if you're playing a mono white deck so using it on yourself is not the worst either it hits any card so it can even get planeswalkers sorceries enchantments what 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 have you yeah, that's interesting too. Yeah, worst case scenario, if you're not playing against a graveyard shenanigan deck, you can actually sort of take something that you would, you know, you've used, but you want it back and put it into your graveyard and then maybe, you know, tutor for it or something. Yeah, certainly. So it's nice. Um, anytime, again, when cards don't say like your opponent's graveyard or your graveyard just says a graveyard, uh, the power level jumps up a little bit. So it's always good to keep an eye out for cards like this. Uh, one more white card I wanted to mention is Open the Armory. It's one in a white for a sorcery. It says, search your library for an aura or equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it's a tutor. It's just, I think, basically an upgrade from Steel Shaper's gift because mm-hmm. it can get an it can get an aura also. Obviously, if you don't have auras in your deck, then Steel Shaper's gift is better because it only costs one white. Yeah. But in a Voltron deck that's going to have some auras, this is just either replace it or actually in addition to Steel Shaper's gift. And so often you're just like... I need to go get Skull Clamp, but it'd also be nice to be able to go get an Aura sometimes. Yeah, not to mention Steel Shaper's Gift isn't a necessarily super cheap card. Uh, yeah, true. And this is just cost one more mana. You can get an Aura as well. It still goes into your hand. Yeah, it's a great card. And it's Yeah, uncommon. that's a good point. It's uncommon, so it's going to be like cheap. Yeah, certainly. All right, let's move on to Blue. Blue has some crazy stuff as well. Uh, for the first one, we have Engulf the Shore. It's three and a blue for an instant. Return to their owner's hands all creatures with toughness less than or equal to the number of islands you control. Very interesting. Um, definitely better in a mono blue deck. Uh, it is, it's gonna pretty much return most creatures if you have five, six, seven islands. And if you have a couple of creatures out that don't get affected by it, then you are benefiting by a lot. I could see this being really good in like a Joira deck. 
mm-hmm. where you've got all big stuff and oh, you're only yeah. and you're two color, so you you're only gonna have five or six. So it's gonna bounce most of their things, but not yours. Even if it just uh, gets rid of a bunch of tokens, and yep. like one ones, that's pretty good. Uh, it's instant speed four mana, sort of board rebalance. Yeah, I like this card. It seems good. It, it just a card that says return all creatures to their owner's hand is good. So anything where you could sort of affect that if in your favor, you know? Oh, yeah, certainly. Because you're gonna play this when it's the right amount of islands that's gonna like somehow work out in your favor. There will be times, of course, where you're like, well, there's an Ulamog out and I can't get up to 10 islands or 11 islands or whatever. Um, But most of the time, I think this is going to get rid of most things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, Epiphany of the Drown Yard is the the next one. Oh, sorry. At the Drown Yard. Oh. I had an epiphany at the Drown Yard. I did not have an epiphany of the Drown Yard. (laughs) Jace is certainly investigating. (laughs) It's... um, Blue and X for an instant. Reveal the top X plus one cards of your library and separate them into two piles. An opponent chooses one of those piles. Put that pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Uh, wow. Sweet. Uh, Mizzix. Yes. All the this way. Is, this is an amazing card in Mizzix because it's an instant. And you basically draw, you know, half the cards you get to choose how they're split so you can put equal amounts of cards that can uh cards that can uh pass in flames you know mizix's mastery you can choose where they go and no matter what your opponent is not going to have a really good choice yeah this card seems pretty great yeah I it's like an it. instant it's x plus one for whatever reason <laughs> because they want it to be not card disadvantage disadvantage right. right it's it's well it wouldn't be anyway but yeah that is weird actually it could, well, it's just better, but yeah, it could be just X and it'd still be good. Maybe it's because Jace is investigating. He gets a little plus one bonus. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It seems very good to me. Yeah, I agree. This card seems really great. Uh, I think there's, you obviously, if your deck doesn't want things in the graveyard, you're not going to have as much fun with it, but... It's still great, though. It's I still mean, great. You draw a lot of cards. You get to see a lot of cards and it seems pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Forgotten Creation is up next. Three and a blue for a creature zombie horror, a 3-3. has Skulk, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may discard all the cards in your hand. If you do, draw that many cards. Whoa, blue, what you doing? Wow. This card's very good. Yeah, this card's good. Uh, Think of like Sidisi, type of decks that want a bunch of cards in their graveyard. Um, Yeah, jeez. I mean, graveyard shenanigans are so big in our format. There's so many creatures and generals that deal with it. And so just being able to put cards in your graveyard but still have access to those cards means you just basically drew a bunch of cards for for free, right? Because you didn't lose the ones that went to the graveyard if you yep. can still use those. Yeah. yeah. A big mistake that newer players make is thinking that discard is a disadvantage for them. Uh, it's only if you don't build your deck to capitalize on it. And I think... The, the more powerful decks are able to play cards from the graveyard and treat it as sort of their second hand. Um, and if your deck doesn't have ways to do that, you're just going to find yourself locked out of a lot of games that you wouldn't be otherwise. Yeah, and obviously if you have a deck that's not dealing with its graveyard or not like playing around with it, then you this card's not even in consideration. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next one is Ongoing Investigation. 
There's a lot of investigation going on. There's a lot. Shadows over Innistrad. They really want to know what's happening. They are really on the case. It's like CSI Innistrad. <laughs> That's amazing. By the way, the investigation in this case, all these people, they've just found the doll. So keep it up, guys. <laughs> Good job. It was Colonel Mustard in the library with the, I don't know, revolver. Yeah. I like the, on- the pipe. <laughs> with the <laughs> ongoing investigation is one and a blue for an enchantment. I like it already. Whenever, <laughs> whenever one or more creature, uh, sorry, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, investigate clues, and then you can pay one and a green, exile a creature uh, card from your graveyard, investigate, and gain two life. This is card advantage off the chain, Edric. Meet your new best friend. I didn't know you were an investigator before. I thought you were a spy, but I guess you do need to do some investigation. Uh, it's it's Edric, but only for you, right? So yeah. only your creatures, when they deal damage to a player, then you investigate. Still great. And also, it's combat damage, sorry. Yeah. Um, but that the fact, I think it would be almost playable just with that, but the fact that it also has one in a green, exile a creature card from your graveyard, investigate, gain two life. Yeah, sweet. That's just... Yeah, it's just a crude value over a game, and we just love that stuff. Yeah, the fact it's if it just said one in the green, uh, you exile a creature and you gain two life, it'd be like whatever. But the fact that you get an investigate clue token every single time, ah, and you, I mean, even if it only gained the two life, it'd still be good as long as it had the first part where dealing combat damage made you investigate. Yeah, this seems. This seems very good to me. Yeah, it seems pushed a little bit, especially as an uncommon. There have been a lot of sweet uncommons in this set, and that's why I love to see because it means it's accessible to players like us without having to drop all the dollars. Yeah, it's very not. Cool. It doesn't seem like I'm really going to get to see actual play in any other format either. I mean, it's I think a little. I'll, I want to draft it. <laughs> oh, and, dra- and draft. Yeah, sorry. I just yeah. meant it's a little too slow, probably for a standard. So yeah, certainly. But for I us, mean, I don't know. I'm not a standard player. Maybe it's awesome, but I think it's probably not. Yeah. Um. Next up, we got Rattle Chains, one of my favorite arts in the set. Uh, for you spirit players, here we go. One in the blue for a 2-1 flash flying spirit. When Rattle Chains enters the battlefield, target spirit gains hexproof until end of turn, and you can cast spirit spells as though they had flash. So it's like a spirit mini. Spirit Tribal. Spirit Tribal, a mini Vidalcan Orrery. There's not much to be said about this other than it's great. It gives you protection. It gives you flash on your spirit spells. Uh, by the way, that counts for non-creatures as well. So Rattle Chains is definitely an auto-include if you're playing spirits and have blue. Yep. I would work with changelings. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the next one is Rise from the Tides. This is five in a blue for a sorcery. It says, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield tapped for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. Spider spawning? This is... Zombie is, um, spawning? Spider, this is, I don't know, but this is Mizzix. Yeah. One blue, you know, put like 10 doo-doos out. Yeah, somebody was asking me if I would play this, and at first I said no because I'm not going to attack with creatures. But then I thought, man, very often Mizzix has like 20-plus instances or sorceries in the graveyard, and you're just looking for a win condition. And this would cost one blue to make 20 tutus. And then you just, you know, with most decks, it's like, well, can I make it to my next turn? But with Mizzix, yeah, you just counter everything to your next turn, then you attack everybody. I think this is actually playable in Mizzix. Yeah, I think so too. And you would think not, but hey, if you're putting that many zombies into the battlefield, you're going to probably be able to flash this out too. It's six mana, but it won't cost that much usually. Seems pretty cool. 
Yeah, I do like it. I mean, there's other decks that probably like it. The Melek deck, the Talran deck, I don't know. Talran might. Yeah. Um, because Talran's already making tokens, so it's just ex- it's kind of expensive in those decks, but in, in Mizzix, it's one mana, so. Yeah, pretty sweet. Uh, all works. right, moving on to black. We've got Asylum Visitor, one and a black for a 3-1. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, if that player has no cards in hand, you draw a card and you lose a life, and it also has madness for one and a black. That's cool. This card is great in the late game when people are just top decking or whatever. Um, you get to draw extra cards. You lose a little bit of life. It seems pretty interesting. I don't know, again, if this is going to be super good because how many how many times is everyone sitting there with no cards in their hand? Sometimes it's just one player. Sometimes it's none because people have built their decks right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not this card is super good or just mediocre. Yeah, I, I think in a normal game and in just a normal deck, just throwing it in, it won't do anything. You know, there's very few EDH games where anybody's ever top decking mm-hmm. you know people build their decks to to have card draw it does happen but it's rare there's not going to be very many games at all where more than one person is in the circumstance where they're top decking but i do envision a deck with madness now that's doing sort of indiscriminate discard which means just everybody's having to discard oh yeah i want to build you this know? deck in fact i am building it right now so this card's good for me Yeah, so in that deck that's basically attacking all hands, including your own, this card is amazing. Yeah, mono black discard. Let's go. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think red has some stuff that might be helpful in that deck. I think it it might, you might want to expand it to a second color, but yeah, I think that deck probably can exist now. There's enough madness cards to to maybe make it worth it. Uh, In that deck, I think that card's very good. The next one is Behold the Beyond. It's five and two black for a sorcery. Seven mana sorcery, huh? Here we go. (laughs) Discard your hand. Well, here we go. Search your library for three cards and put those cards into your hand, then shuffle your library. Uh, Hmm. what? (laughs) So you discard your entire hand, but in in, uh, exchange, you get any three cards in your deck in your hand. That's pretty good. If you played played, um, Demonic Tutor three times, it would cost you six mana. So yeah, you wouldn't have to discard your hand, but yeah, like we said, discarding your hand could possibly be very good. And by it's the time se- you get to seven mana, you may not have much of a hand left anyway. Yeah, it's seven mana, but hopefully you do it with Vidalcan Ori or Leyline of Anticipation or something on the instep before your turn, and this could easily set up those combo wins, which are fun for everybody. But you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, seriously, three cards. You could build yourself an infinite combo pretty easily out of those cards or just find the pieces that you need or find the perfect answers. So three cards, very powerful. A lot of other cards that are able to fetch multiple cards just cost way more. So it's interesting. Uh, Discarding your hand does not seem like a huge downside to me, especially because you're black. Yeah, exactly. All right, next up we have Ever After. Aw, happily ever after. Isn't that a Drew Barry movie? Yeah, okay. now it's a now it's a zombie horror piece. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, maybe that's like Drew Barrymore after she comes back from the dead. It could be. Oh, nice. Yeah, four black black for a sorcery, six mana sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Each of those creatures is a black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Put Ever After on the bottom of its owner's library. Okay, here we go. Cheating of mana cost. What do we always say? Pretty good. Yep, so two target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, it's your graveyard, so that does nerf it slightly. 
but it's still very, very strong, especially when you play it in conjunction with, I don't know, a card like Behold the Beyond, where I just discarded two huge things, yeah. put them in my graveyard, and then the next turn, I get them onto the battlefield for only six mana. You know, I could get 20 mana worth of stuff for six mana. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sweet. Very, very sweet. Uh, and again, like all those other cards we talked about that are forcing you to discard, this is probably should go in your uh, mass discard. I'm, I don't want to play against that mass discard EDH deck, Jimmy. No one does. It is not a pleasant deck to play against, and it will draw a lot of hate. But hey, what are you going to do about it? Because I made you discard your hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next card is from Under the Floorboards. It's three black black for a sorcery. So we went a seven mana sorcery, a six mana sorcery. Now we have our five mana sorcery. You go, black. It has madness, black black, and X. I'll explain that in a second. So... For three black black, put three two two black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield and you gain three life. But if from the under the floorboards madness cost was paid, instead you put X of those tokens onto the battlefield tapped and you gain X life. So some interest oh, they're they're both tapped. I don't know if I read tapped for the first part. So if right. you pay five right. mana, you get three zombies tapped and gain three life. If you pay it for its madness cost, which means you've had to discard it then you pay black black and x and you get x two two zombies tapped and you gain x life this gets better the higher the number goes so right now for three black black that's five mana for three two two so that's six power and toughness for five mana which is pretty good if you pay seven black black you get 14 power and toughness for uh nine mana so the it gets it gets better in terms of uh, how much like of sort of a discount you get, I suppose, or how what the rate is, the more that right. you do this for. Yeah, we've seen lately we've seen a lot of these big zombie creators like make a bajillion zombies. Um the question I always ask myself is is it better than Army of the Damned? <laughs> Which is just yeah. eight mana, make thirteen. I don't know. This could be better. You gain life, and for eight mana you would get if you can pay the madness, you would get six which is not as good. Yeah, but the problem is that you have to madness it to get that. If your deck is built to do it, sure, that's awesome, and you have the mana to do it. Black is able to produce a ton of mana because it has a lot of mana doublers. So it's interesting. I mean, if you're going for this zombie tribal theme, then you should probably just play both. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Of, speaking of zombie tribal, we got more coming at you. It's Relentless Dead, black, black for a 2-2 creature zombie with menace. When Relentless Dead dies, you may pay black. If you do, return to its owner's hand. Uh, when Relentless Dead dies, you may pay X. If you do, return another target zombie creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's pretty interesting. Um, black has lots of ways to sacrifice its own creatures, to get rid of its own creatures. And the fact that you can regrowth something is pretty sweet. Um, it's better than regrowth. It's to the battlefield. Yeah, to the battlefield. You do have to pay the mana cost, but if it's something that's like X, black, 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 black has tons of black mana symbols you don't have to pay black to bring it back you can actually pay any color of mana so yeah i think this is good but you also have to think it's when it dies you have the the trigger goes on the stack right so you can't do it at a later time so in order to really use it you'll have to have available mana at the time when relentless dead dies Uh which is good but what are you going to do like sit there and hold up all your mana every turn if your if your deck can do that that's great, but I don't know if zombie tribal decks really do that. It's better to just be able to hold up one black, though. Yeah. So, And then sometimes maybe you'll do that. I think it's good. I just don't think it's amazing. Yep, I agree with you there. 
What's the next one? To the slaughter. Oh, good. I don't have to say the hard one. <laughs> I'll say it. To the slaughter. Two and a black. For an instant, target player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Then it has delirium if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. Instead, that player sacrifices a creature and a planeswalker. Cool. Um, yep. Edict effects are sweet. Instant speed edict effects are also very good. Uh, it can just get people sometimes. If they're playing Voltron decks, they just play their second creature, and you're like, oop, to the slaughter. Narset. Um, you know, you can't Doomblade yeah, Narset. Correct. But you can certainly make them sacrifice a creature. And at instant speed, that's one of the problems with Edict effects against Narset is that a lot of times, you know, they play or put Swift Foot Boots on, swing, and it's too late for most Edict effects because they're usually sorcery speed. But this one's instant. Yeah, certainly. Um, oh, boy, here comes. I know how to say it. Yeah. It's my favorite card in the set, by the way, I think. it's Is, it, is this the fear of open spaces? <laughs> no, is because what... he's, he's good, running straight into an open space. It's fear of the number 13, folks. Triskaidekaphobia. <laughs> what, a, what a name for a card. I love that this set allows us to have crazy names like Triskaidekaphobia and From Under the Floorboards. Um, Triskaidekaphobia is a three and a black enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one. Each player with exactly 13 life loses the game, then each player gains one life. Or each player with exactly 13 life loses the game, then each player loses one life. Crazy. So basically, each player with 13 life will lose the game. Then you really choose whether the other players gain one life or lose one life. And get closer to Triskaidekaphobia. The art, by the way, is fantastic. There is 13 all across the images if you count the logs, the amount of blood drips, the amount of things hanging from the ceiling, the amount of glass shards on the ground. This guy's running straight into the forest. He's so afraid. He's like, I'm out. This house is awful. Peace. There's 13 of everything. Peace. Yeah. Um, this card is awesome. I really love the art on it. I love the flavor. And I want to build a deck that's just about getting Triskaidekaphobia out. I want to see somebody win... With the, actually, I don't even care. I just want to see somebody lose because of this card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You may only I just want to see get one, one person. person get knocked out because <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. That's that's cool too. Um, sure. You know, I wonder if there's a way because there's some exchange life total cards. Uh huh. So I wonder if there's a way to get because black has a lot of like pay life. Oh to yeah, do stuff. yeah. So I wonder if there's that's the thing you do is you control your own life total. Mm-hmm. And then exchange it yeah. at the opportune moment. If there's a way to give life to people, one of the Sorens uh, reduces people's life to 10. So you can get them up to 13 closer that way. Well, yeah, because Triskaidekaphobia does that. You know, each player loses or gains one life. So you can climb them up. Yeah, exactly. Um, the card is hilarious. Uh, cards like Pestilence would be really good as well uh, to get everyone down and sort of climb them all down together. Um it's going to be tough if they have like a mana confluence out though, or anything that could just ping themselves for damage. But hey, you know what? If you can live that dream, please live it. I want to see it happen. Me too. All right, let's move on to green. First up, I love this card. This is really exciting. Cryptolith Right. One in a green enchantment. Creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So good. So good. Every creature becomes a Birds of Paradise for one in a green for an enchantment. Oh my gosh, it's- token decks. Go it's nuts. Secrets of Paradise. It's the conspiracy card, Secrets of Paradise, except for it's for all your creatures. Yeah, that is this card's awesome. If your deck wants it, it is going to destroy with it. Because every card that makes a token all of a sudden just has an absurd amount of value attached to it. 
this is going straight in my Tim deck because all it does, all those creatures tap to do something. But you know, even better if they can also tap for mana. Yeah, why not? Yeah, love this card. It's super sweet. Um, next one is Death Cap Cultivator, one in a green for a two-one human druid. Tap and add black or green to your mana pool. Also has Delirium and um, Death Cap Cultivator has Death Touch as long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. So it's a 2-1 with Death Touch, or it's just a 2-1 Mana Dork. Yeah, Mana Dorks are always helpful. Uh, if you need more Mana Dorks in those colors, run this guy. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Groundskeeper up next for all you Titania folk uh, or Gitrog uh, Frog folk. Groundskeeper is a green for a 1-1 Human Druid, and for one in the green, return target basic land card from your graveyard to your hand. Regrowth lands, let's go! <laughs> let's go let's do it yeah instant speed uh you can do this at your at someone's end step you can drop a bunch of lands if you have a zusa out seems pretty good it's like crucible but on the creature that you have to pay for yep um next one is seasons past it's four green green for a sorcery return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand put seasons past on the bottom of its owner's library that's sweet. Wow. Wow. That is really good. For six mana, you could technically get like 13 cards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could get... Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you just got four, or even if you just got three, it's great because regrowth costs two, so just mm-hmm. doing it three times on one card. Yeah, they don't need to all match. It's not like um, a Creeping Renaissance where they all have to match, have certain conditions be met. You can just choose any cards. They just have to have a different CMC. And oh, it's so good. Yeah, this it's too is... bad that it goes to the bottom of uh, its owner's library. But otherwise, you could just get Eternal Witness, then get it back. So yeah, I understand it's... that. Yeah, the card's very sweet. I'm a big fan of Seasons Past. Um, after that, we have our spoiler card, Second Woo-hoo! Harvest. Uh, two green green, instant for each token you control. Put the token onto the battlefield. That's a copy of that permanent. We go deep on this. Just check out the episode that we released uh, about a week ago, I believe. Now, a week and a half. And we will talk all about Second Harvest. We also have a really cool animation for it that Jeffrey Palmer did for us. So, very nice. Terry, play that animation right now. Ah, uh, so good. If you guys Sorry for you it, audio, folks. Yeah, but hey, not that sorry. Just go to YouTube.com slash the Command Zone Podcast. You can see it there. Wee. <laughs> all right. The next card is Tireless Tracker. Two and a green for a 3-2 human scout. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. Sold. Landfall, investigate. That thing seems sweet. And yeah. then whenever you sacrifice a clue, put a 1-1 counter on Tyler's tracker, which is just gravy because who cares? The landfall, investigate. It's kind of like your own mini Horn of Greed. Oh, yeah. I like that. Very good in the decks that are going to play a lot of extra lands, like the uh, the Gitrog. Ribbit. Ribbit, ribbit. Yeah, Rawr. Titania. Oh, that was a good rock. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, Tireless Tracker. Again, Landfall Investigate just seems awesome. So, good card there. Uh, our final green card is going to be Uvenwald Hydra. Uvenwald. Four green green for a Star Star Hydra. It has Reach. Uvenwald Hydra's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. So, if you're casting this without any mana rocks, it'll be, it'll be a 6-6. Six, six. Pretty cool. Uh, now, here's the relevant part. When Uvenwald Hydra enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card. Put it onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Not basic land, land card. You can prime get time. Prime time. Here we is. Sort of mini <laughs> fair prime time. 
Yeah. Very this is awesome. Time, but still very good. I mean, in a rune deck or something, oh you could gosh. flicker this and get Glacial Chasm into play at possibly instant speed. That is so powerful. I'm not even going to, you know, there's a million other things you could get, but just that right there is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting Maze of Ith. Yeah, Maze of Ith is amazing to save your butt, you know, strip mine to get rid of their Glacial Chasm or something, or their Maze of Ith. Yeah. Uh, the uses are very, I mean, it tutors a land. Yeah, that is insane. And it gets it onto the battlefield, not even into your hand. Um, you can get any land. That's why it's important. That's why it's awesome. You can get fetch lands. You can do whatever you want. The get world Herborg. is your oyster. <laughs> exactly. Now, is, is it Uvenvald, or is it one of those cultures that switches the Vs and the Ws, and then it's Uvenvald? I think it's Uvenvald. We say the, the Wald, but yeah, kind Wald. of with the V on it. Wald. Clearly, we're linguists. Um, this is not <laughs> actually our last green card because Jimmy, you didn't put the jo- most Josh Lee Kwai card in the set. Oh, I didn't. What I missed on there? It's called Weirding Wood, or maybe it's Weirding Wood. Oh, right. This is the most Josh Lee Kwai wood ever. Someone tweeted it at us today and was like, "Josh, yeah. look." <laughs> I was like, "I know." So Weirding Wood or Weirding Wood, depending on how you want to pronounce it, it's two and a green for an enchantment aura. It's an enchant land. When Weirding Wood enters the battlefield, investigate. Enchanted Land has tap, add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Hey, you get to investigate too, and then you can immediately use that land to cast your clue. This card is very, very good. Yeah, it's a fun one. It's a mana rock for three that actually replaces itself slowly. Um, But not as slowly because it actually creates extra mana. So I don't know. I love cards like this. Everybody knows that. I can see myself playing this one for sure. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. All right, let's go on to colorless cards. Uh, the first one, another great favorite of a name. It's Brain in a Jar. The picture, <laughs> by the way, is a brain in a jar. Uh, It'd two... be weird if it was like a hand in a jar. <laughs> I'd be like, where's the brain? <laughs> There's probably a hand in a jar in this laboratory somewhere, but in this case, oh, yeah, we're looking sure. at a brain. Uh, it's two colorless mana. Oh, sorry, it's just two generic mana for an artifact. For one generic mana and tap it, put a charge counter on brain in the jar. Then you may cast an instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on brain in the jar from your hand without paying its mana cost. For three generic mana, you can tap it to remove X charge counters from brain in the jar to scry X. This is really good because you can reset it. You can reset it. If a new card enters your hand, you're like, oh, I need to go back to two. Great. I can remove counters and then scry to find even more cards to use with brain in the jar. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's kind of the Aether Vial for instants and sorceries, right? Yeah. It's um, And I like I like what you said, where you can control the number of counters a little bit easier. If you go too high, you can actually bring it down. And you get you get congratulated for doing it. Yeah. Uh, this card's great, and I think it's probably... How many instants and sorceries do you need in your deck to run it? A lot. I mean, yeah. like, again, Mizzix might play this card, but at the same time, I mean, it's just a nice way to slowly accrue value over the game because you can get this up to, like, you know, nine counters, and then all of a sudden you're, you're dropping huge, crazy spells, right? Yeah, I think it's not worth it if you don't have enough instants and sorceries, though. Just the scry effect itself is too slow. Yeah. So you have to have some instants and sorceries. But you probably don't need as many as we think. Maybe, like, you know, 15... Or 20 might be enough. You know, how many times are you going to use it in a normal game anyway? Three or four? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, interest, it'll be interesting to see. This this card has pretty cool applications. Yeah. 
I like the scry part because it makes it like a little bit additional value also if you're not currently using the other part. Yeah, I mean, it has lots of things to do. And, you know, the fact that you get to play a spell for free, I'm down. Yep. The next one is Haunted Cloak. It's three mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has Vigilance, Trample, and Haste, and you equip it for one. That's a There's cheap, the... cheap equip cost. Yep. I, yep. I don't know if a deck's going to want this, if it already has Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves, and usually the decks that want that, the Hexproof is important, but the Haste is important too. Same with Trample. Um... Trample could be important, yeah. I think the deck that wants this will probably be a deck that's going to want to trample on over anyway. You know, Xenagos. Yes. This is very good. Certainly. Because you need the trample. And the Vigilance can be good, too, to keep that blocker up once you sort of tap out to go all nuts at someone. True. Uh, our last artifact is Tamio's Journal. Five mana for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, investigate. Ooh, lots of clues. And you can tap it to sacrifice three clues, search your library for a card, and put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library. All right. So, yep, you tutor with three clues, and it makes a clue every turn, so you can just draw an extra card for two mana every turn. This is good. This is very good, actually. Especially Um, if you have ways to make clues outside of Tamio's journal. Yeah, even if you don't, I think if you're in a mono-white deck or a mono-red deck, you would think about this card. It's just those colors don't draw cards very well. This is a colorless way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit slow, but not terrible, terrible. I think if, you're, if you've are if got blue in your deck, then this card's probably not even under consideration, but a lot of decks don't. Yeah. I like it. I dig it, too. All right, let's move on to multicolor cards. Yay, we're almost done. <laughs> my voice yeah my poor voice Ugh, i don't gosh. know how limited resources does like talk about every single card actually i do because we did that for conspiracy we're probably <laughs> going to do it for conspiracy too but wow yeah i'll ask marshall we'll see what happens he'll be like yeah you just drink a lot of water my i ran out of water like uh 20 minutes ago so oh geez that's rough altered ego is the first one it's got a complicated casting cost it's two Green, blue, and X. It's a shapeshifter. Zero, zero. Altered Ego can't be countered. You may have Altered Ego enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with X additional 1-1 counters. So it's four mana and X, and two of those mana have to be green and blue. And the X is how many plus one, plus one counters your clone gets, basically. The art is terrifying on this. Um... Yeah, yeah, the art is crazy. You can make a giant, giant beater. If someone already has a scary creature, guess what? You just made it scarier. Gigantoplasm is kind of similar to this in that you can change the power and toughness. Yep. But Ultra Ego just, oh my gosh, it is a hammer of a card. Can't be countered. Pretty relevant. Yeah, and clones essentially get around Hexproof as well. So can't be countered, doesn't care about Hexproof. Scary. I like it. Uh, this is going in my Marchessa deck. Yes, certainly. I really, really like clone cards, and anytime a clone card pops up, I'm always happy with it because, again, the fact that it gets around Hexproof is really relevant in, in EDH. Mm-hmm. Next up, Anguished Unmaking. Uh, rest in peace, Josh. I'm sorry. Utteren, uh, what? Utteren's still good, though. It is still good, yeah, and you'd want to play both anyway. Uh, yeah. One black and a white for an instant. Get ready. Exile target non-land permanent. You lose three life. I don't care about the life. It's an instant. It's faster than Vindicate. 
It can't yep. hit lands, but hey, that doesn't really matter that often. Anguish, I'm making a sweet. Sorry, yeah, Addison. This, I mean, I, I, this is probably like almost every Orzhov deck will end up running this thing. Yeah. Uh, In a lot of ways, it's better than Path to Exile and Swords to Plowshares. Now, those are only one mana, I know, but the versatility is actually worth quite a bit. And the three life, like you said, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's solid. And it's black-white. You might be getting that life back anyway. Yeah, true. And it's quite um, sweet. There's not much to be said about it other than it's very powerful. And hey, you're going to want to play it. And, you know, you're probably way more happy about it if you didn't invest in 50 foil utterance. But they're beautiful, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you read uh, the next card to make you feel better? Okay. Because this it's, goes in one of your decks. It's Fevered Visions. It's one, a blue, and a red for an enchantment. I like it already. At the beginning of each player's end step, that player draws a card. If the player is your opponent and has four or more cards in hand, Fevered Visions deals two damage to him or her. So it's like a Howling Mine with sort of the old school card, the Rack, a little bit. On yeah. It. But yeah. very specifically at their end step. So that doesn't mean they get to Howling Mine and draw it during the beginning of their turn and Good point. use the card. And hey, Nekusar seems to like this, right? Yeah, this is 100% goes in the Nekusar deck. I mean, you're already just going to play Howling Mine. So you just play a card that makes everybody draw an extra card. This one also instantly does some damage to them. And it's not so much, I think, that people are going to be like having to kill you immediately because it's maximum of two damage. It doesn't yeah. scale with the amount of cards they have or anything. And they'll be happy to draw the card anyway. Yeah, most people will just pay two life to draw a card. So, <laughs> in fact, there's cards in black like Greed that do that yep. and cost mana too, and you would still play cards like that. So, Yep, absolutely. All right, finally, the lands. We're almost there, guys. Oof. Drown Yard Temple. Get rog, get ready. Uh, you can tap it to add colorless to your mana pool, or you can t- uh, pay three generic mana and return Drown Yard Temple from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Uh, if you like Landfall, if you like Titania, if you like Omnath, this card is for you. Another nice utility land. Yeah, it just recurs itself. It's yeah. a land that recurs itself. And it's colorless, so it can go in any deck. Um, yep, Omnath, Titania, Gitrog. Seems really good. Seems good. There's not a lot to say about it, really. Yeah, and finally, we have our cycle of rare lands, and these are pretty cool. I like them. The hand lands? Hand lands. I'm all about that name. I think it's fantastic. It makes total sense. I'm sticking with it. So these lands all have the same similar text, so I'm just going to read Choked Estuary. Choked Estuary is a land. It says, as it enters the battlefield, you may reveal an island or swamp card from your hand. If you don't, then it enters the battlefield tapped. And it, as you might guess, taps for blue or black. So obviously there's going to be one for all of the allied color pairs. Yep. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but you have to reveal those colors. So if it taps for black and red, then you have to reveal either a swamp or a mountain from your hand when you play it. Otherwise it enters the battlefield tapped. Yeah, it's just another option for players that don't have access to a lot of dual lands to have a dual land that comes in untapped. Now, this would be worse later in the game because you won't have as many cards in your hand, but it's still great in the early to mid levels of the game. Um, It's just a good land. They're all good lands. I like lands. I like more lands for us EDH players, more ways to fix our mana. So, cool. Good job, Wizards. I actually actually think these are pretty good, and also, like, it doesn't say a basic island or basic swamp. Mm-hmm. So uh, an old school dual land or a shock land or a have land yeah. will also work as the revealed cards for these. And I think like later on, like turn 13, if you draw this, 
Well, generally, it's not that big of a deal for that land to come into play tapped anyway. Yeah, you'll be unhappier that you just drew a land, if anything. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't matter that much. Sometimes it will, obviously. These are just better than guild gates, probably better than life lands. Um, They're probably better than have lands. Yeah. I'm not sure 100% about that, but I think they probably are. It depends, again, if you're running a lot of colors or not and how many basics you have to to, to decide that one. All right. We did it. We made it. Oof, man. My my, my throat hurts. <laughs> Solid two hours of talking, pretty much. Uh, let's go on to the listeners. So, uh, by the way, the last time we date, when we first debuted to the listeners was in our set review for Oath of the Gaze Watch. So, since then, we've gone a whole uh, cycle of episodes in between set reviews. So, I think it's been a nice hit. And to reward you guys, we have some winners to declare to win a book. Thank you so much again for writing in. We're just going to list off the winners now. If you hear your name, please send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com with your mailing address, and we'll get those out to you as soon as possible. We should say before this, um, you're only eligible to win if you're in the U.S. or Canada. So uh, Delray has trouble sending the books internationally, so we can't, unfortunately, if it's not domestic, which is considered U.S. and Canada here, um, then unfortunately we can't have you win the book, but don't worry, we give stuff away all the time. So yeah. maybe we'll send you some boosters in in place of books. That's on me. Look at that. Look at that. The book again is "The Lies of Locke Lamora" by Scott Lynch. And again, I have not read it yet, but I hear it's awesome. It's a medieval fantasy heist movie, like Ocean's Eleven meets uh, fantasy Wheel of Time <laughs> or something. Okay. Oh, cool. Anyway, nice. Game of Thrones. Ooh, I'll read it. All right, so the winners, uh, we've got six total. The first up, Alex Kuzara. Alex Kuzara, come on down. Come on down. All right, I have an Alex also. It's Alexander Hall Christensen. Ooh, very nice. Come on down. Next up, we have Jordan Lancaster. Come on down. Uh, next, we have Chewy27. This was from email, by the way. Chewy27. Very cool. Uh, this one's from Twitter. It is at sock four two one at sock four two one. An odd number of socks. That's a sad sock. That's a lot of socks. I want too. an even number of socks because it's hard to match them up if they're odd. <laughs> um, this one's from the the rocket jump comment section. It's J underscore breaker. J underscore breaker. Again, if you heard your name, email us your mailing address to commandcast at rocketjump.com. If you're in the U.S. or Canada. We'll get you a copy of The Lies of Locke Lamora. Very cool. Awesome. So, hey, guys, to the listeners this week, what cards are you most excited about from Shadows over in Estrad? Let us know. Yeah, what combos do you see? What cool synergies? What card did we not talk about that you think we should have? Yes, and uh, we'll agree slash disagree and talk to you on Twitter on email, on YouTube comments, as well as Rocket Jump comments. So go ahead and communicate with us. We love talking to you guys. We love hearing your awesome ideas, your brews, and what excites you the most. So go ahead. Uh, again, you can find us on Twitter at CommandCast, on RocketJump at RocketJump.com slash the command zone, on email at CommandCast at RocketJump.com, and on YouTube at the YouTube.com slash the command zone podcast. Whew. Wow, that was, good. that was good work. Thanks. All right, now time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Oh, gosh, I can't believe we have more to do. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, um, right, yeah, the end step. Ugh. I'm going to mention something I mentioned on the end step a long time ago because it's so cool that 
I want to make sure that our newer listeners hear about it. It's a podcast called Hardcore History. It's oh, yeah. Called, yeah, it's called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I'm talking about it now because a new episode came out uh, recently. And that's a pretty big deal because they only come out with an episode every few months. But it's an amazing, amazing series. One of the best podcasts out there. Might be my single favorite podcast. Um, it's about different historical moments. He really has a great way of explaining, you know, like the fall of Rome or, you know, the inner workings of World War One or all kinds of things. And, and Dan's a very, like, very entertaining guy in the way that he puts together a podcast. I've listened to those episodes, many of them three or more times. Oh, wow. It's it's just a really, really compelling, really great podcast. So Hardcore History, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I can't recommend it highly enough. Obviously, if you're listening to this right now that you do like podcasts and a lot of people are turned off by the fact that it's history and it feels like, oh, it's feels like it's school or something, but it's not. It's totally entertaining in the same way that any story would be entertaining, like going to watch a movie is entertaining. It's just this stuff happens to be real. Yeah. But that that doesn't change that. It's it actually sometimes makes it better and even more like crazy and unbelievable. He talks about in the most recent series it's called King of Kings and he's building up to the um Spartan stand at Thermopylae, which is the famous, you know, the movie 300 was about, but he goes into detail about how that came about, who the Persians really were, um, you know, where the Persian em- empire came from, what they were like the real, you know, historical facts surrounding how many there maybe were and what actually happened and what led up to it. And it's super fascinating. That is awesome. If you guys just Google hardcore history, you can find it. Otherwise, we will have a link in the show notes. So make sure that check to check that out. I am going to listen to this on the flight back to LA because this seems awesome. It's so good. You'll get so hit. So hooked, man. I've, I've gone through I think I've listened to every single episode now. Um, because they only have the most recent ones on iTunes, and after that, you can purchase them on the iTunes store. And I, I don't, you know, why would you purchase podcasts like that? Uh, they have to be very, very good. There's only a few that I would, and this is one of them. Yeah, very, very cool. All right, make sure you guys check that out as well as make sure you guys answer our To The Listeners question to participate in the show. Moving on to the cleanup step, our sister podcast is the Masters of Modern. You can check them out at the MMCast. They will also have lots of cool content now that uh, Shadows of Innistrad is here and they can talk about its impact on modern. Our editor is Terry Robertson. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations, including the second Harvest animation, which is awesome, and he did exclusively for us, and our spoiler card. You can find him at Living Cards MTG. Definitely go over there. Show him some love. He's been doing great things for our show and for other magic content creators out there. Great job, Jeffrey. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace. What happened there? I said peace. That was weird. You didn't say peace, though. It seems weird for me to say it now that you've already said it. Oh, can I just... uh, uh, Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Peace? (laughs) (laughs) Good enough. See you guys later. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. 
See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>